Well, hey there. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares. Work harder. And we are here for another episode of the podcast with a live Q&A that I hosted on Instagram. This is part of a series of four Q&As that we've been doing and the reviews we've been getting have been wonderful. I think everyone has really been enjoying them and leaving loads of comments saying that it's been great because, you know, they're enjoying the wide range of topics that are covered. And today is no different. We, I was going to say no better, but it's actually no different. What do we dive into? Well, first of all, I was, ta- I was ta- we talked a lot about menopause. I was explaining about menopause and the changes that go on the body and why it may be harder for you to build muscle and burn fat. I talk about intermittent fasting um, when it should be used and when it shouldn't be used and can it be used to build muscle. I also talk about the gym split that I do and how you should choose a gym split that um, that moves you towards your goals, that is supports how you want your body to look and why that is important. And then we did loads of quick fire ones about, you know, our apparel and when it's going to be ready and also about um, just the digestive system and, you know, all the fun stuff that I'm really into and my favorite protein companies and supplements that I take and all the rest of it. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Don't forget that if you want to win a sculpted vegan program, leave me a review on the podcast. And if you received an email from us if you you know receive our weekly emails which um which details you know that has details of the podcast make sure you hit reply to that email and tell me what you want to hear on the podcast because every single person who hits reply goes into a weekly draw to win a sculpted vegan program a weekly draw so you could be winning a sculpted vegan program um, or in with the chance of winning every single week without even having to wait here on the podcast the only caveat is the weekly draw we do is only for a 97 dollars program or less but we have loads and loads of those the only way you can win the sculpt and shred which is the expensive program is here on the podcast so if you want to be in with the chance of winning the sculpt and shred leave me a review and send me a screen grab on instagram so i can see your review or if, or and at the same time, you can enter both. Make sure that you find the email, subscribe to the podcast um, on our website, thesculptedvegan.com. Reply to the weekly email. And every single time you reply with just a little, you know, short, like, oh, Kim, I'd love to hear about this, or I really enjoyed this, just hit reply to that email and you will go into a weekly draw. Now, the reason why I'm asking you to hit reply to the email, and um, there's a method to my madness, is because every time someone engages with our emails and um, replies, it actually boosts our open, it boosts our reply rate, which actually boosts our sender reputation with Infusionsoft. And we have hundreds of thousands of people on our mailing list. And as you have hundreds of thousands of people, it can actually affect, believe it or not, the bigger your list, it can actually affect your deliverability of your emails. So every time someone responds, it it increases our deliverability and tells in Key App and Infusionsoft or whatever they're called that um, we are a very reputable sender and they should show our emails to more people. So you would think that if someone signs up for your list, they would just get your bloody email, wouldn't you? Well, that's just not how it works, unfortunately. I wish that it was. So make sure you do uh, reply to emails. And in fact, just hit reply to any email that you get from me if you want, because honestly, my customer services team reads every single one of them and then they send them through to me if they're extra specially good so please do respond to any email that you get and um, we'll be delighted to hear from you so i'm going to let you go to the podcast now and um, i won't talk to you again at the end but i uh, just want to say that i will see you or speak to you next week for another episode of the kim constable podcast i hope you enjoy this q a remember to show up live on instagram next week is the last one it's at 7 p.m uk time on a sunday Uh, And I will see you next week for the last one and I will chat to you then. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. And we are live recording this Q&A on Instagram for the Kim Constable podcast, which goes live every Thursday on every major podcasting platform. So if you don't get a chance to uh, stick around for the Q&A today on Instagram, absolutely make sure you go and check out the podcast and um, you can listen to it while you're driving. You don't actually have to watch it here on Instagram. So today, uh, the first question that we are going to answer, uh, let me see who it comes from, actually, who asked it. It's Catherine Carol Mullen. And she asked, did you have any loose skin on your tummy after kids? And if so, how did you get rid of it? This is a great question. I know it's something that many women struggle with and suffer from. So 
The question is, or the answer is yes, I have four kids and I had four kids in just under six years. So just, just sorry, yeah, just four kids in five years and just under six years. And so of course I did have a lot of loose skin on my stomach. Absolutely. But I have found that over the years, the loose skin really has just shrunk back. And I don't know whether or not I'm genetically blessed. Um, I don't think I am. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll hypothesize, okay? So all I can do is make a hypothesis as to what I think it is. But let me tell you why I think my loose skin has shrunk back. There's two things. The first thing is, after I had my kids, even though I had four kids in very quick succession, I and my stomach was stretched four times very, very quickly. I wasn't overweight before I had kids and I wasn't overweight after I had kids. So the skin wasn't permanently stretched for a long time. And so I think that what happens is many people, many women say, oh, after I had my kids, I just couldn't get, you know, my stomach back or whatever. But it's not, it's, it's, it's not always just about the kids. Sometimes it's, due to the fact that they were overweight before they had kids and then they never really lost the weight after. So it's not the having kids that gives you loose skin. It's your stomach, your the skin on your stomach being stretched for a long period of time. And but the beautiful thing about the body is the body is very regenerating. There's something like you get a new liver every 60 days or something like your body completely regenerates every cell in your liver every 60 days. And, you know, your body is constantly shedding skin. Your body is constantly rejuvenating your skin. But you want to make sure that you're giving your body the best possible chance to repair and rejuvenate. And even though I do drink alcohol, um, but I, I don't drink, although sometimes in my stories, it seems like I drink a lot of alcohol. I really don't. Like we had a huge family party here yesterday. Not a huge family party. There's only 20 here, but for my dad's, for my stepdad's 60th birthday. And I drank, you know, I drank throughout the day. I had like two glasses of champagne. And then I think I had three cocktails um, and maybe one gin and tonic. But like that was over a an eight hour period. So I maybe had six drinks, eight drinks possibly. I, I, you know, wasn't even counting, but over an eight hour period. So that's like one drink per hour, whenever you think about it. And then I drank three liters of water from about 7 p.m. onwards, you know. And so I do drink, but I don't binge drink. I don't go out and I drink, you know, like I don't, I very, very rarely uh, drink in the evening. I hate drinking in the evening. So I never go out for dinner at say 7 or, or 8 p.m. and have a whole load of alcohol and then go to bed because I think that's what makes you feel really terrible whenever you have a lot of alcohol in a very short space of time. We are big day drinkers, so we space drinks out over the day, and then we uh, and then I drink loads of water before I go to bed and I sober up. So drinking is kind of my one vice, if you like. But I, I believe that everybody should have at least one vice, right? Who nobody is actually perfect, and I think that even try to be perfect is extremely boring. So I I do drink, but the rest of the time, ninety nine. 0.9% of the time, I'm super healthy. I don't smoke. I haven't smoked. I did used to smoke years ago, but I don't smoke anymore. I haven't smoked in 20 years. And I exercise every single day. So I, I go, I do cardio. I walk every single day. Walking is so therapeutic um, and obviously very good for the body, good for the cardiovascular system. I train in the gym five days a week. I only eat a plant-based diet. So I, um, it's all plant protein. I eat an enormous amount of green cruciferous vegetables. I eat very, very little sugar. Um, not because I have like a, oh, sugar is bad, but just because eating a lot of sugar doesn't support my health and lifestyle goals because I like to maintain and stay lean all year round. So I don't, sugar doesn't really go into that. I don't eat hydrogenated fats or trans fats, you know, so it's, my diet is extremely clean. I drink a lot of water, at least three liters a day, usually not any more than three liters, but about three liters a day. I do drink coffee, but I only drink coffee. Um, I have maybe three cups a day. Today I had two cups. I had one this morning and one mid-morning and that was it. So maybe two cups of coffee a day. And so I maintain a mostly in fact, 99% of the time, I have a super healthy lifestyle, a super healthy diet. And I honestly believe that that is what contributes to good skin. Because, you know, my... Um 
somebody said to me the other day about, you, you know, God, Kim, your skin on your face is just amazing. You know, what is it that you do? And I said, honestly, people ask me this all the time, but I, there really isn't anything that I do to my face. It's it's more just that I have a, a really good diet and lifestyle. And I think that, you know, they always ask me what I use on my skin, what products I use. But I always say it's not what you put on your skin. It's what you put in your body that causes you to have good skin. So I do believe that the reason I don't have loose skin now in my stomach. I mean, of course I do. Like I can grab it, you know, it's softer than it was before I had kids, of course, but it is pretty lean. And I think it's because of a couple of different factors. One, I'm low body fat. I, I maintain about a 15% body fat all year round. So I'm about 15% at the minute. So low body fat. Um, so I don't have any, you know, pockets of fat underneath it. Two, I have a shitload of muscle, like a lot of muscle. And so because I have a lot of muscle, that causes my metabolism to be very, very high. And so my body burns fat quickly. It builds muscle quickly. It digests quickly. My, my metabolism is very efficient. When you have more muscle, you have a very efficient metabolism. So I have really efficient metabolism. Um, the third thing is I lost weight quickly after having my babies. I was very determined to get back into shape after having all of my children. So even between pregnancies, I went right back to being in shape because it was very important to me. And so my body, even though the skin stretched gradually over nine months, it, it, you know, it went back again very quickly afterwards because I was committed to losing weight again. So it didn't stay stretched over a long period of time. Um, and also the last thing is I know how to hold my stomach so that I don't have an awful lot of fat, you know? So it, the, one of the tips is if you put your hips back, a lot of people think to make their stomach look better, they should crunch their stomach. But what you should actually do is the opposite. And it took me years of bikini modeling to figure this out. You actually need to push the hips back and elongate the torso. Whenever you push your hips back, almost like you're sticking your butt out and arching your back, it elongates your torso and it stretches the skin on your stomach. So to make your abs look better or your stomach look better, you should never crunch your abs. Yes, if you tense them and crunch them and you, you know, a lot of people would do this and they would hold up their, you know, their boobs if they're girls, you know, and they would look down at their stomach and that's, you know, that's your abs in a crunched position, but nobody actually walks around like that. So in order to make your abs look better, most women have to elongate their torso by putting their hips back, lifting their chest up and elongating the torso. And that is what stretches the skin naturally and makes it look better. But truly my takeaway from this answer is if you concentrate on good diet, good nutrition, good exercise, and you do that consistently over a long period of time, it can't just be over eight weeks or 10 weeks or whatever. It has to be over a long period of time. The skin will stretch back. Your skin will regain elasticity, but you have to give it every possible opportunity to regain that elasticity by good food, good nutrition, good supplementation, um, lots and lots of water, regular exercise. Just keep the body healthy. I have found that the healthier I keep my body, the better I treat my body the better my body treats me. And it's not a coincidence. The better I treat my body, the better my body treats me. I have good skin. I have good, good, good digestion. I have regular periods. I have, you know, great mood and good energy and I sleep really well. So the better I treat my body, the better my body treats me. So if you just go into life with that kind of mentality, you will absolutely do well. Okay, so let's pull, okay, this is a really good one. Let's pull another question. Let's see who's asking this one, actually. So this is um, Mel McKeague. I love this question because this actually um, is, is something I was talking about in the first question. I'm talking about how my one vice is I do like to, to drink. So um, how to recover from a night of drinking and get back on track. So here's what I want to say to this, Mel. I want to say that if you can't control your urges or impulses or whatever to drink excessively. No, hang on. What am I trying to say? So it's not about that. I, I do believe in burning the candle at both ends or having the best of both worlds, I guess. Not really burning the candle at both ends, but having the best of both worlds. And I've always tried to maintain balance in my life. So I have never drank ever so excessively that it has incapacitated me the next day. I mean, when I say never, maybe once or twice. I think once when I was about 15, I went out on an empty stomach with uh, my boyfriend at the time to like a, an event, a night at the races. And Oh no, I wasn't 15 actually, I would have been 17. Um, and I remember drinking 
oh my God, I think I must have drunk about 15 vodkas on an empty stomach. And I was so drunk and I was so sick that the next morning I was like vomiting. Um, and it was, it was actually, I, it was so acidic. It actually burnt my throat and burnt my esophagus. I had a sore throat and chest for days after vomiting. And I felt so, so, so ill. And I think that that put me off ever getting that drunk ever again. And so if you can't get up the next day and still go and train or still go and live your life, or I mean, you may be obviously on a Sunday, or whatever, taking it a little bit easier, but if drinking causes you to let yourself off the hook the next day, you shouldn't be drinking or you should moderate your drinks or you should learn to have a little bit more self-control. And that's the honest to God's truth because, you know, if, and then Mel's here, I can see she's saying, thanks for asking my question. So my drinking, me going out for a drink on us or having a drink on a Saturday night or a Friday night or whatever, never throws me off track. It's never, you know, it's just part of my lifestyle. And I think that because I don't see a drinking alcohol as something that's bad and I don't see it as something that um, needs to be curtailed and I never punish myself, I see drinking alcohol as part of my lifestyle. And so I train hard, I work hard, I do cardio every day, I spend a lot of time with my family and alcohol, enjoying alcohol, like I'm Irish, we drink, you know, in Ireland, we were fucking born in pubs for God's sake. So enjoying alcohol as part of a balanced lifestyle is who I am and it is what I do. And so therefore you know, me having a few drinks would never throw me off track. Like this morning we got up, you know, I had a couple of drinks. I had quite a few drinks yesterday. I think, like I said, I had maybe six to eight drinks yesterday, but it was from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Um, and I drank heaps and heaps of water as well. And I, we woke up this morning. I went to bed at like 10.30 p.m. I slept really well. I had a sleep score of like 90 on my aura ring. Um, I woke at, I think I woke at 6.30 and I decided to go back to sleep. And so I went back to sleep until 8 p.m., 8 a.m. My husband and I got up, we had breakfast and then we went and we cleaned up the whole party. We had a marquee in the garden. We cleaned up, you know, whatever was left over from, from yesterday. And that took us about three hours. And then I did some work in bed and I watched a couple of episodes of, you know, Victoria, which I'm really into at the minute on Prime. And then I... Uh, and then I did, and then I took the dog for a 60 minute walk and now I'm here doing this Q&A. So yesterday is a little easier for me, but it I've, I would never let myself off the hook. And honestly, if my husband had said this morning, do you want to go train? Like I would have trained. Quite often we get up at 8am and we still go to the gym and train. Even if we are feeling a little hungover, um, if we have been out the night before, you just get up and you get it done. Like there's never, a, there's never going to be the perfect time. You're never going to feel, you're not going to feel on top of your game on every single training session. And I think think that it's almost like going to work. This is how I describe training in the gym. A lot of people have training in the gym as if like, you know, they always say to me, how are you always so motivated? And do you train when you have your period? Or, you know, what about the days when you just don't feel like it? And I always say to them, right, do you, do you work? Do you have a job? And they say, well, yes, because most people have to earn an income. Or they have worked at some point, even if you're a stay-at-home mum now or stay-at-home dad, you probably earned an income at some point. And I say to them, well, were there days when you woke up and your alarm went off and you did not want to go to work because you were tired from the weekend? And they're like, absolutely. I'm like, well, were there times whenever you didn't want to go to work because, you know, you had your period and maybe you had cramps and you were feeling a bit shitty? Absolutely, yes. Was there ever a time when you were up all night with the baby? Um, whenever you're, you know, one of your kids was sick and you're up all night, but you still, you know, got up in the morning and you went to work. And they're like, yes. I'm like, so what caused you in all of those days to get up and go to work? And they were like, well, I don't know, I guess like if I don't go to work, I don't get paid. And, you know, I just, I don't want to let the boss down. And it's just, it's expected of me to go to work. And I'm like, that's what it's like whenever you have a consistent gym routine. I get up and I train. I train whether I have my period. I train whether I was awake in the night. I train whether I had insomnia. I train whether I have a headache. I train if I have an injury. I just train around the injury. I train if I was vomiting. Like, I just train and I don't feel like it all the time. And certainly I don't feel on top of my game when I train. Now, if I'm really injured or really exhausted or something's happened, like I can push my training day on to the next day. I can be flexible and I can take a day off during the week and I'll train on the weekend. But training is... Training is just like going to work. It just becomes part of your lifestyle. It becomes part of who you are. It's not what you do. And I'm not saying work is who you are, but just like you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you, you know, or you, you go to work or you take your kids to school or whatever, you don't feel like it, but you do it. 
anyway because it's part of what you do and that's what training in the gym is like so if you if you need to get to a point with your training um and your eating and your dieting where it's a lifestyle but that doesn't happen immediately that happens over a period of time and so sometimes in the beginning there will be times when you'll have a party or you'll not feel like it or you'll let yourself off the hook or something will happen and that's okay that's okay just get back on the wagon as quickly as you can and get going again and then and just you know get into the routine of doing it and then pretty soon you will feel worse when you don't go to the gym than when you do you'll feel worse when you don't do your cardio than when you do not doing it feels worse than doing it even though doing it is hard and you don't want to do it you still will feel worse it's like letting down a best friend right you've committed to doing this thing and you're like oh my god i can see it far enough i can't be arsed to do this thing and then someone will say to you well like just don't do it and you're like no 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 i can't let them down and so you try on the two things you weigh up letting your friend down and you know and, and indulging your need or your 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 need for comfort or your you know whatever you have going on that moment so you can either choose to to indulge your need for comfort and let your friend down or you can choose to not indulge yourself and go and, and help your friend out when you said you would because letting your friend down feels worse than getting up and doing the thing in the moment. So getting up and doing the thing feels bad, but letting down your friend feels worse. So you weigh up the two, which one feels worse, and you get up and you go and do the thing. At some point, whenever you've trained for long enough, in whatever your training is, it might not be gym training, it could be you know tennis or karate or something different, but once you've trained for long enough for yoga, then you will reach a point where your training will, not doing it will feel worse than doing it. And so even though doing it feels bad and uncomfortable, it still feels better than not doing it. So once you get to that stage, it all becomes easy and you don't even need to worry about uh, recovering from a night uh, out to get back on track. Okay, let's take a couple of quick ones. So Tweety is asking this one. She says, how close are you to your clothes line being done? I had to read, I had to actually um, read this a couple of times because it was like my clothes line. Because over here, that's what we call something that you hang your clothes out on. And I know the Americans don't really hang clothes out. You guys just put everything in the dryer. <laughs> but assuming you are American, but over here we have clothes lines and we don't put a lot of things in the dryer, to be honest. So in fact, a lot of houses don't even have a dryer. So, and I find this out when I went to America and I remember saying it was like it was like a hundred degrees nearly it was in the 90s I was staying with a friend of mine and I said to her I said oh where's your clothesline so I can you know so I can I want to hang the clothes out and she went my what and I was like your clothesline she's like I don't understand I went your clothesline for hanging your clothes outside so they can dry in the fresh air and she went oh no we don't have one of those we just put everything in the dryer and I was like you put everything in the dryer and she went Yes. And I was like, like everything, like you just take it out of the laundry and put it into the dryer. She was like, is this wrong? <laughs> I remember being like, oh my God, it's like such a waste of energy. And she was like, yeah, we're American. We don't, we don't think about things like that. We're the ultimate consumers. I was like, oh my God. So um, I said over here, like we only put things in the dryer if we need them quickly or we can't get them done. Not everybody. Some people do use their dryer, but it's, it's less common to use it than it is. It's less common to, to use it than it is not to use it. We hang things outside. So it's so funny. Um, so my own clothes line, um, I can see people asking questions about intermittent fasting. I'll talk about intermittent fasting afterwards. So that's a really good question, actually. My own clothesline, we are developing a range of apparel. So what she means by clothesline is apparel. We're a we are developing a range of sports bras and tank tops and um, scrunch bum leggings and shorts and all that kind of stuff. We have had the first fit in London. So we have a company in London who are sourcing and having all the clothes made for us in factories. We had the first fit about uh, four weeks ago and it um, there just wasn't up to standard for what I wanted. It was good, but I know exactly what I want. And so it's gone back to the factories again to have more samples sent. I would reckon, honestly, that we're probably not going to launch. We may pre-launch something, but with all of the times and production times and everything being so long at the minute, I reckon it's going to be early next year before we have anything released because we've so many business. I'm starting so many businesses at the minute. And so I reckon it'll be early next year before it started. Okay, so I'm going to take a couple of uh going to take a couple of questions about intermittent fasting i can't actually put them up or maybe i can hang on let me see pin comment okay so i can pin this comment to the top uh so you guys can see what i'm doing so thoughts on intermittent fasting for strength um 
Okay, so I I am not a fan of intermittent fasting. And I'll tell you why I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting. So intermittent fasting is um is intermittent <laughs> like how do I say this diplomatically? So the principles of intermittent fasting are that you restrict your calories within a 24-hour period. Intermittent fasting is not any kind of miracle diet. It's not the fact that you don't, I don't, I don't even know a, hundred, a lot about the principles, but I know that you only eat within a certain window. So you don't eat until maybe after midday and then you don't eat after 8 p.m. So basically, rather than giving yourself at that full window of time when you're awake. So let's say you sleep for eight hours in a 24 hour period. That means you're awake for 16 hours. So basically, rather than um, rather than eating for 16 hours or within a 16 hour period, you have to fit all of your food into an eight hour period. So because so you're basically having the time that you have to to fit in your food. So whenever you restrict the time in between which you can eat, generally you will take in fewer calories. And so that is why intermittent fasting works because you're taking in fewer calories. It's not a science-based principle. There's nothing about, you know, not eating until after midday or anything I guess that like causes you to burn body fat or not eating at night. A lot of people say to me, oh, you know, I was starving at night. And I know it's not good to eat at night. I'm like, why is it not good to eat at night? And they go, you know, you shouldn't eat after eight o'clock. I'm like, why? And they say, oh, does it not make you put on weight? I'm like, no, eating after eight o'clock doesn't make you put on weight. Eating more calories than you're burning off makes you put on body fat. That's it. And they're like, really? I'm like, mm-hmm. There's really no other reason that someone would put on body fat except they're eating more calories than they're burning off. That is the only scientific mathematical principle that you need to work on when you're considering losing body fat. So intermittent fasting no, let me go back and say, whenever you are sleeping, so this is why I don't like intermittent fasting for bodybuilders. Um, intermittent fasting, let me actually just say one more thing. Intermittent fasting as a weight loss, as a fat loss um, strategy does work because you are restricting your calories. You're restricting you know, the meals that you're eating to an eight-hour period. So you will be restricting your calories. So does it work for fat loss or can it work for fat loss? Yes. I'm not saying that it can't. It absolutely can. But it doesn't work for fat loss because it's intermittent fasting, because intermittent fasting is better than something else. It works for fat loss because you're restricting your calories and you're eating less than you're burning off. Now, if you, in the eight-hour period that you were allowed to eat, shoved an enormous amount of food in your mouth, then you would not lose body fat. So it only works if you're in a calorie deficit. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, whenever you wake up in the morning, you've been sleeping. And whenever you're sleeping, you're fasting. And what your body does, and this just makes sense if you think about it, apart from it being scientifically correct, it does just make sense. Whenever you're sleeping, you your metabolism slows down. And the reason why your metabolism slows down is because you're resting and your body wants to, you know, conserve energy and it doesn't need to expend a lot of energy. So as you, whenever you are sleeping, your body goes through the process of um, assimilating nutrients. And then in the morning, your body goes through the process of elimination, which is why you normally have a poop in the morning because your body overnight has, you know, moved the food through your digestive system. It's taken all of the nutrients that it needs and then it is ready to um, eliminate waste. And so whenever it has done that process of cleaning, which it does throughout the night, in the morning then, your your body is ready to be fed again. So when it, But whenever you wake up in the morning, your body is in a fasted state. Whenever your body is in a fasted state, that's why it's called breakfast, right? You break your fast. So whenever your body is in a fasted state, your metabolism slows down. So anytime you are fasting, your metabolism slows. Why does it slow? To conserve energy. Because your body doesn't want, if it, it recognizes if there's no food, Food coming in for an extended period of time, it doesn't want to keep burning calories at the rate at which it's burning calories because if it continued to do that and there was no food coming in, then the body would very quickly die. So the body is always regulating to the food, uh, uh, to the data that's coming in. So if you're feeding your body regularly at regular intervals, then your body knows that it does not need to hold on to any body fat because it doesn't need body fat for energy for the future because it's getting fed regularly. Same with water. Whenever you you drink water regularly, your body knows that it doesn't need to hold on to any water. So you never suffer water retention or bloating. But the people who suffer water retention
attention, interestingly, are the people who don't drink enough water. Because whenever your body isn't getting uh, regular water intake, it holds on to water because it knows that it's going to need water to perform all its necessary functions. And it can't trust you to give it the water that it needs. So it has to hold on to it and store it. Remember, your body is a, is a self preservation mechanism. Your body's only goal is to keep you alive and it is far smarter than you are. So it it knows that you can't be trusted Every, to give it water. Everybody knows you should drink at least two liters of water a day, right? Hands up how many people drink at least two liters of water a day. Be honest. Like I don't give a shit. This is just a virtual hands up by the way. So many of us know that we should be drinking two liters of water a day but not everybody does. Many of us know that we shouldn't be eating trans fat and hydrogenated fats and we shouldn't be eating too much sugar, but a lot of people do. And so many of us know we shouldn't be eating all of these extra calories or dairy or animal fats or they're cancer causing and heart disease and all the rest of it. Yeah, but we don't want to give up what we like, so we still do. So thank fuck our bodies are smarter than us because it's the only way we stay alive because otherwise we'd all be dead because we wouldn't be taking care of we just wouldn't give our bodies we're not giving our bodies all the time what they need so with intermittent fasting whenever you wake up in the morning your body is in a fasted state so your body is holding on to conserving energy while you're sleeping in order for your body to build muscle effectively, your your metabolism needs to be running efficiently. So whenever you wake up in the morning and your body is in a fasted state, if you don't break your fast, then your metabolism stays slow. Your body has no reason to speed up your metabolism if you're not going to feed it. And and, it, and also it, in the morning, it's like, you know, I imagine my body going, is there food coming? Is there food coming? Is there any food coming? Is there food coming? No, no food coming. Is still food coming? No, no, still no food coming. So your body's waiting to raise your metabolism once that food starts coming in. And if you don't raise your metabolism until after midday, you are missing out on a massive, massive opportunity for burning fat and building muscle because what burns fat is an efficient metabolism. Because whenever your body downregulates your metabolism, it slows down the fat burning process. Whenever your metabolism is super efficient, then your body builds more muscle and it burns more fat. So intermittent fasting does work as a principle because you're restricting calories within an eight hour period, but it is absolutely not conducive to the bodybuilding lifestyle. There is no self-respecting stage athlete ever using intermittent fasting. Ever. Bodybuilders time their nutrients. We eat a lot. We eat regularly. We eat big. We, oh my God, my dog is snoring so loudly on the sofa behind me. So, like, food is so important to bodybuilders, and no self respecting bodybuilder would ever ever use intermittent fasting. So it's not something that I am a fan of for bodybuilding, but does it work for fat loss if you're restricting calories? Yes, but understand it's not the intermittent fasting that works. It's the restriction of calories below what you're burning off. So when you're eating less and you're burning off, you're definitely going to lose body fat. Okay, so here's a question, actually. This is a really good one. Um, and I'm just going to pull this up here. So just because it came up, what am I supposed to eat? Anya is asking to get a fast metabolism in the morning. Great, great, great um, follow-on question. So protein is very thermogenic. Whenever you eat protein, thermogenic basically means that it it it's thermogenesis within the body means that the body has to, the body is heating up, right? So, so protein heats up the body. How does it heat up the body? Because it makes the body burn calories to digest the protein. So carbohydrates don't require any energy from the body to digest and neither do fats, but protein requires energy from the body to digest. So whenever you eat protein in the morning, preferably within 60 minutes of waking up, but 60 to 90 minutes is fine. Like I usually wake up in the morning, have my coffee, which also raises the metabolism by the way. And then I go for, you know, a 60 minute cardio session and then I'll eat breakfast when I get back. But if you eat protein within... 30 to 90 minutes, I would say, of waking up, your body, your metabolism will raise by about 10%, 10 to 15% actually, for the entire day. It's not just for that hour, it's for the entire day. You basically stoke the metabolic fire first thing in the morning. So you have to have at least 30 grams of protein first thing in the morning in order for this to be effective. So you can have, you know, upwards of 30, but don't have any less than 30. Um, so if you're not vegan and you eat eggs, I think there's only about, um, hmm, I'm trying to think what there is. I think there's about, 
eight grams of protein in one egg. So I think if you're having, or eight to 10, so if you're having, say, two eggs, you're getting, you're not even get two eggs, doesn't even give you 30 grams of protein. You'd be better to have six egg whites if you're not vegan. If you are vegan, you can have a scoop of protein powder. You can just drink it, or you can um, put it in oatmeal, or you can have scrambled tofu or tempeh, or, you know, you can just, you can actually add the protein to different foods. So even if you were eating, say, a bowl of granola, you could have a protein shake on the side, but you want to make sure that you're getting your 30 grams of protein in first thing in the morning, because that is actually what's going to raise the metabolism. And that's what's going to cause the body to uh, to burn more fat. But intermittent fasting is absolutely not the way to do it. Um, but that is the best way to... Um, so my, my, my kids are having conversation and I keep like having to flick the conversation away here on, on my phone and WhatsApp. So that is absolutely the best way to raise the metabolism first thing in the morning. Um, okay, couple more questions. So yes, someone's asking, Anya's asking, can I drink a protein shake? Yes, 100% protein shake is perfectly, perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Okay, um, let me see what else we have coming on. Um, Okay, Tara Lynn, I'll take one from you. Uh, Tara is asking, what are your thoughts on body part splits? There are so many different approaches. I tend to follow something similar to what you do, but other successful bodybuilders do it differently. Yeah, you know, there, there's really no perfect uh, split. I always teach what is more important is that you do it consistently than you do it perfectly. I have bodybuilders, you know, that I follow as friends of mine who follow a push-pull legs split and that really works for them and they tend to, you know, to do more different exercises than I do. They would add in a lot more volume, you know, and and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. It, it what what matters is oh, sorry, my battery my battery was low there, sorry. What matters isn't that you do it perfectly, it's that you do it consistently. So whether you do push-pull legs, push-pull legs, um, push-pull legs break, push-pull legs break or rest, or whether you do like I do, which is um, five, which is Monday to Friday, I do chest and triceps on a Monday, legs on a Tuesday, back on a Wednesday, shoulders and biceps on a Thursday, and glutes and hamstrings on a Friday. But at the minute, because I've been developing the butt camp program, I've actually been throwing in glute work every single day at the end of every workout. So I'm doing, so what I'm doing at the minute is I do chest, triceps, and some light glute work on a Monday, some cable glute work. Then on a Tuesday, I do heavy, heavy leg day and heavy glute work. Then on a Wednesday on back day, I throw in some glute work in, in uh, deadlifts and uh, Romanian deadlifts on the Smith and different things. So working the whole posterior chain. Then on Thursday and shoulders and biceps, um, I again, I throw in some cable or some banded glute work. So not really, really heavy glute work. And then on Friday, I do another really heavy glute work day. So I have two really heavy leg days on Tuesday and Friday. And then on Monday, Wednesday and Thursday, I throw in some lighter glute work, working on all different sides of the glutes. And my glutes have exploded with growth since I've been doing this. It's unbelievable. But like I said, there really is no perfect body part split. But what I would say is train your body in the way that you want it to look. So I train my body like a conventional proper big bodybuilder because that is what I want to look like. I like having a big chest. I like having a big massive muscular back. I want to have wider lats, you know. Um I really want to bring up my my upper delt at the minute. So I want to have more of a of a curve on my delts and so I'm going to I'm going to actually start putting in some extra delt work as well, but and I've always trained legs super hard and I've always want because I've always wanted to have big legs. So you have to train in the way that you want your body to look. I have friends who are bikini athletes and they never train chest ever. Like if you look at the top bikini athletes, two of my good friends, one is Angelica Tashira who is uh, who won bikini Olympia twice, two years in a row. The other one is Natalia Mello who is one of the judges in all of our competitions, both bikini Olympias. She won, Natalia won in 2014. Both very good friends of mine and neither of them train their chest. They don't train their chest and so they don't have any muscles on their chest. And so they train um, aesthetically for how they want to look. Angelica does a lot of upper glute work. Um, she'll train her back, but they don't train 
really heavy and hard um, in certain body parts because that isn't the look that they're going for for a bikini athlete they're going for a really small waist big glutes not too muscular legs like Angelica got penalized in the last two Olympias that she did because her legs were too muscular but years ago that is what they were looking for they wanted muscular quads whereas now she's had to really back off on her quad training because she doesn't because she's getting penalized but she's pregnant now she doesn't actually even know what she's going to compete again afterwards but um, she she had to back off in her leg training. She could never do the leg training that I do because she doesn't want my legs because I have great big melon crusher thighs. So whatever, however you want to look, that is how you should be training. And if you want to have really big legs, really big muscular quads, you need to train your quads really, really, really hard. Now, when I say hard, I don't mean long. I don't mean go into the gym for two hours and train. I mean, get a spotter and go to absolute concrete muscle failure in the final couple of sets, final couple of reps of your final set. That's what I do with Mark Getty. Like my final set of my two squats that I do with my trainer in legs is like bone crushingly hard. Like I think I'm going to get squashed under this massive weight, but because I have Mark there to spot me, I feel confident that I can lift it. And, you know, this week I went up 20 kilos on the Smith squat. So I went up to 150 kilos on the Smith squat. I haven't been up to 150 kilos since I was training with Mark on the Smith. Actually, I've never done 150. I think 130 used to be my top weight. And my legs were so sore because I pushed up a massive big weight and I had my husband to spot me. And it was it was fantastic. So if you want to train, if you want really big quads, you have to train really hard. And the harder you train, the bigger your legs will get. So you have to really train um, very specifically for what how you want to look. And I train for how I want to look. I like to train the front of my body, the back of my body. I want to have big legs, big booty. I don't train calves. I, I don't really care about having big calves. I don't train abs because I don't really care about having really muscular abs. Um, so I train aesthetically for how I want to look. But there, so you have to choose a body split that works with how it is that you actually want to look so that's actually a really 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 good question um let me just take a couple of other questions here from the chat i'm actually uh enjoying these so a couple of quick ones here um lisa is asking if you train in the morning would you suggest taking protein powder before or after the workout if i train in the morning i would always take protein powder before so if i ever get up and go straight to training which doesn't happen very often i will take a protein shake with a scoop of vitargo which is high molecular weight carbohydrate or i will have uh two scoops of protein powder always two scoops actually two scoops of protein powder which is 50 grams of protein and i will also have like a piece of white toast or um, a bagel or something before i train because you always want to get white starchy carbs into you before you train because white starchy carbs will be very quickly broken down by the body and fed into the bloodstream and then into the muscles when you train so it'll give you energy so you always always want to have a um you always want to have carbs and protein whenever you train so great question um okay laura that's a loveless question laura how do you maintain a natural chest and not lose the girls well i have breast implants and i just realized years ago after um breastfeeding my four children um and you know and then being really muscular and whatever like my tits just looked like a, two golf balls and a pair of socks i'm not even joking like spaniel's ears they just they were really small they weren't, they weren't really bad like but they were really small and really just there was no tissue there anymore and yeah, they just look terrible as far as I was concerned. So I got breast implants, but I do have, like I can show you guys, you can't see here in the podcast, but like I have a really muscular chest. I don't know whether you can, can see that or not, but if I, if I tense it, like I have a full on separation in the middle and I, I actually, if I tense it in some ways, I get chest splits as well across the top. So I have like, you know, a really big muscular chest and I love having a really muscular chest. I just think you, it gives you so much stature whenever you're standing, you know, and you have these lovely broad shoulders and big traps and I have a really muscular her back and big you know chest I just think it makes you it just gives you so much presence that's one thing I have to say about I keep hitting my microphone that's one thing I have to say about um about training it gives you so much presence and and I just love having a big chest okay a couple more questions these are really good so um let me just pin this one from uh Aisha I think it is 
Any advice for us going through the menopause? I am struggling to lose weight, even though I measure everything. So yes, I we're actually developing an entire program on menopause and it's going to be released next March. It's going to be a huge program like the Sculpt and Shred. And um, we're actually developing our own menopause supplements as well for perimenopausal women and menopausal women. So we have two different supplements that we're going to be launching next year based on uh, using all of my years and years of training with yoga and with Chinese medicine. So based on adaptogenic herbs and different ways we, you can support the body and support the hormones and help with sleep and hot flashes and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, but with menopause, here's what happens with menopause. A couple of things happen. So you, because you go through hormonal changes in your body, you, um, two things happen mostly. The first one is that your, your muscles start to atrophy. So you start to go through the hormonal changes cause what's called sarcopenia. And so sarcopenia is when basically your muscle tissue starts to break down. So after the age of 40, there's something shocking, like, you know, you lose like a certain percentage. It's like 2% of your muscle, um, your overall muscle mass in your body every year after the age of 40. And so that's the first thing that happens. The second thing is that you become very insulin resistant whenever you are in menopause. So the hormonal changes cause, cause your body to be insulin resistant. So basically what this means is your your set so whenever you eat your immediately the food hits your stomach or actually immediately um, you start to taste the food in your mouth your pancreas start to secrete insulin. Insulin is a storage hormone. So what um, insulin is released into the blood and the reason why insulin is released into the blood is because insulin is there to um to to go around the blood basically and to to store the the nutrients that you're eating into the different cells. So if you eat food, insulin is released into the bloodstream. So insulin basically goes around. I can I imagine insulin to be like a little messenger going around. Anybody need anything? Do you need something? Do you need something? And any over there? Yep, some muscle over here. Yep, uh, this guy here needs filled up over here. Yep, it's these cells over here and they need something. So insulin is almost like, you know, the 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 person directing. <laughs> you can imagine in your body that, you know, it's directing where everything has to go. Now, whenever you whenever you start to go through hormonal changes, your cells become more resistant to insulin. So basically what that means is I insulin's almost like going around knocking on people's doors, like, hello, hello, anybody in? Do you need something? Oh, yep, open the door. I've got a delivery for you. And so insulin's going around and knocking on all the cells, right? On all the cell doors. And the cells, but and normally then the cells would open up and insulin would say, I've got a delivery, and they would open up and receive the delivery. Well, what happens as you get older is your cells become more in, more resistant to the insulin. So they don't actually, um, they don't open up. So insulin insulin's knocking, but the cells aren't opening up. So what happens if the cells don't open up, okay, to receive the nutrients, um, the nutrients are still there, the sugar is still there from what you're eating, then the only option insulin now has is to put those, th those sugars into fat store. So basically once your body, once insulin has fed your body, once it has delivered everything it can deliver to wherever it needs to go, any surplus that is left over, is put into fat store. So as you get older, your cells become more insulin resistant, which means that more is stored as fat. So what can you do about this? Well, nothing really. You just have to make sure that you're eating a really good, um, a really good diet for, you know, like a low blood, you know, for, um, like a low sugar diet. So you're not eating a lot of, you know, processed carbs, a lot of starchy carbs. You're not eating cereal bars or cereal for breakfast and that kind of stuff. You're eating a high protein, um, plant-based high fiber diet. That's why they always say, you know, an insulin have loads of fiber. The reason why people always tell you have loads of fiber isn't so that you have a great digestive system. The reason why you, we, it's recommended that you eat loads of fiber is because fiber, um, fiber can't be absorbed in the small intestine. It must be passed through to the large intestine for fermentation. And only, and you'll hear me going on and on and on about this loads. I talk about this loads. The only food that is digest, that is broken down in the small intestine is passed through the intestinal wall into the blood as energy. So only food that is broken down in the small intestine can be used as calories. If it goes through the small intestine into the large colon to be fer to, to be fermented in there, your body does not absorb the food as calories. So that's why they're always saying to eat high fiber foods, because whenever you eat high fiber foods, more of the food 
is passed through to the large colon and less of it is absorbed as calories. So high fiber foods generally are not as calorific for that reason. So if you have wheat, for example, so let's say you take, um, you have a whole grain and you have a processed grain. Whenever they process a grain, say, say the difference between whole grain bread and white bread. Well, what they do is they basically remove the fiber. What makes something a high glycemic index carb or a starchy carb is the absence of fiber. So once they strip the fiber away from the grain, then um, that's what makes it a high glycemic index carb. Why? Because the absence of fiber means that it's all of the, the food is absorbed through the small intestine or all of the nutrients are absorbed. So therefore, there's a lot more calories. So if you have a slice of whole grain bread and a slice of white bread, well, less of the whole grain bread is going to be absorbed in the small intestine because it's going to be passed through the large colon for fermentation. So therefore, it has more fiber. So that's why you want to eat more fibrous foods. Um, and so whenever you're in menopause, what you have to, or in perimenopause, actually menopause really isn't an issue. Like once you've gone through menopause, you really don't, you know, you you just settle into a new rhythm of life. But perimenopause is actually the stage that is the hardest. So you're not considered in menopause until you haven't had a menstrual cycle for a year. 12 months, you have to go without a menstrual cycle to be considered in menopause. Before that, you're actually in perimenopause. So whenever you... Um, sorry, so whenever you are in perimenopause, you basically just need to eat less, eat smarter and exercise more. So it's not really even about eating less. You can still eat the same volume of food, but you have to eat food um, that is high in fiber, green cruciferous veg that is um, that is nutrient dense, but calorifically light. And you have to exercise more because your body Basically, your hormones start to change. Your body becomes insulin resistant. You can't do what you used to do before and still get the same result. And I think that that's what confuses women the most. or I think that's what pisses them off the most. You know, a lot of women who are in perimenopause who talk to me about it and they say, you know, it's just so annoying because I, I have to do this and this used to work and my body's not the same. I'm like, it's not that your body's not the same. It's that you just can't do what you used to do and get away with it. You have to change something. And most of us are resistant to change. We don't want to change. Like I was making, I was, laughing the other week and talking about my sister and I said to her you know she was she's in perimenopause and she was saying oh my god this is so annoying and I can't believe this blah 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 and I said to, and she said I just you know and she was complaining about you know she just basically couldn't eat what she could eat before and without putting on weight and I said to her well what do you have for breakfast and she said cereal and I was like you have cereal for breakfast? And she said, yeah, I mixed two different types of cereal. I have like frosted wheats and something else. I was like, dear God, Carol, I haven't heard of an adult having cereal for breakfast. Not in my world anyway, since like I was in, I think the last time I had cereal for breakfast, I was a teenager. I'm not even kidding. So, you know, whereas she's still eating cereal for breakfast, a cereal bar with her coffee and work, and then a sandwich for lunch and maybe another cereal bar in the afternoon. And I was like, no wonder you're putting on weight. Your body is all, or your, your diet is all carbs and sugars and very, very little protein. I said, if you want to combat, if you want to, if you want to beat menopause or beat the symptoms of menopause, you need to eat a high protein, high fiber diet, and you need to exercise more. So unfortunately that really is, you know, that really is the only way to, um, to, to combat it. You just have to accept that your body isn't the same as it was before. And unfortunately, you know, there are changes, there are changes to be made. Okay, that was a really great question. So let me just take a couple of quick fire questions before we finish. Uh, okay, let me give a, um, I'll pin this one to the top and it's about supplements. So um, Brave Active is asking, is there a maximum number of supplements you should take? I have B12 injections, BCAA, creatine, magnesium, alpha lipoic acid. What would you recommend? Look, I have taken a shitload of supplements over the year. Honestly, I have never found that there's a maximum number. Um, at one point, whenever I was ordering my supplements from Persona Nutrition, I was probably, I was taking like three packets of supplements per day, one in the morning, one mid-afternoon, and one in the evening, as well as all my additional supplements. I have never found that taking supplements, uh, taking a large amount of supplements or a large, large variety of supplements uh, does any harm. In fact, I feel for me, it's been very, very beneficial. But what you have to remember is that the um, the supplements that you take should adequately um, 
support the activity that you're doing. So a lot of times when people come into my programs, my bodybuilding programs, they're really shocked at the volume of supplements that we have them take. And they're like, oh, but the packet says to only take five grams, but Kim says to take 10 grams three times a day. And I say, yeah, but don't forget that on the back of the packet, they have to treat everybody as if they're stupid because, you know, and they have to go with like the minimum effective dose. But I said, you know, you're training two hours a day in cardio and one hour in some of my programs are doing two hours a day cardio and one hour a day in the gym. I said, you're placing far greater demands on your body than the average person. So you, it would make sense that you should take more, you know. So they're like, oh, right. OK, that makes perfect sense. And so you have to supplement based on I'm just going to plug in my phone here. You have to supplement based on. Um, what your goal, you know, what your goals are, what you're working towards. And don't be afraid of of taking extra supplements if you need them. Um, my current supplements that I take are, well, at the minute, you know what? I took a break from supplements for a while. I just I, I just got sick of taking supplements. I've been taking them for like five years. I'm taking a shitload of them. So at the minute, I take a vitamin B complex, a high-strength vitamin B complex. I believe that everybody, whether they're vegan, vegetarian, omnivore, whatever, man, woman, child, I believe everyone should take a B vitamin because we are a nation that is deficient in B vitamins and B vitamins actually reduce inflammation in the body. So you, I believe that everybody should be taking a, a B vitamin supplement. So I take a high strength B complex. Um, I also get regular vitamin B12 injections. And I that's what else do I take? I take BCAA, vegan BCAA when I train. Um, the BCAA I use is the Berry Blitz flavor from the Protein Works. Um, it's a vegan BCAA because a lot of people don't know that things like powders like creatine and BCAA and things are actually made from like crushed feathers and um like they shave you know like they, yeah so crushed feathers and also they shave the hair off pigs and they like grind those down and they extract those out to make the bca like it's really disgusting what they um i was horrified years ago whenever i found out what actual you know what a lot of those those supplements were made from so make sure that you use the vegan um forms of those products so i i take bcaa when i train um, I take a vitamin B12 and really that's it at the minute. That's the only supplements. That I'm, oh, tell a lie. Sorry, I'm taking magnesium and zinc as well in the evening. And I only started taking that recently. Um, and I'll be completely honest. The reason why I started taking it is because I realized I had quite a lot of magnesium and zinc together. Uh, magnesium and zinc tablets in the cupboard um, from the Protein Works, which is my favorite protein company. Um, if you use the code TSV for the Sculpted Vegan, TSV50 at checkout, you will get 50% off site-wide. So make sure you use TSV50 at checkout for 50% off site wide. Um, and so I, I'm starting to take magnesium and zinc, but really that's it. I'm not taking any, any other supplements at the minute, but I used to take Elution after I trained, I would have taken, um, in my, in my post-workout shake, I would have taken creatine, Elution, um, and L-glutamine. And then I would have taken BCAAs in my water when I trained. And then I was taking, God, what else was I, taking? I was taking vitamin C, vitamin D, magnesium, uh, vitamin B, um, liquid trace minerals. Uh, God, what else? Kelp I used to take every day as well. I For the supplement, kelp contains iodine, which is really good for, um, for sorry, for your thyroid, for, for uh, thyroid help. And I can't even remember what else. I used to take an absolute shitload of vitamins, but I have really taken a break from them recently. So let me see if there's any. Okay, so just a couple more quick ones. Um, favorite vegan protein um, is from Warrior Princess Nima. Favorite vegan protein is the Wonder Shake from the Protein Works. Again, use the code. And in fact, quite often, I think we have two codes. I'm pretty sure we're getting 55% off at the minute. It's TSV55. So um, the Wonder Shake has the best macros of a vegan protein I have ever known. The vegan Wonder Shake and the taste is phenomenal. It has the same consistency as whey protein. It's not gritty or, you know, or has that really weird flavor that a lot of vegan proteins do. So... Um, and it also has 25 grams of 25 grams of protein per scoop for only 82 calories. And that is like most pre a lot of vegan protein powders are through the roof on calories. So whenever you're taking a protein powder, you always want to make sure you're checking the calories and the protein content. A lot of the vegan protein powders only have like 10 grams of protein per scoop, which really is not a lot. Um, and sometimes they're extremely high in carbs. So if you're taking, you know, 
if you're taking three scoops to get 30 grams of protein, some of them are like 150 calories per scoop. So you're getting, like you're taking 450 calories in three scoops as opposed to 240 calories in three scoops with the protein work. So the macros on are absolutely brilliant and that's what I would recommend. Right, let's see what time we've been over. Ooh, 55 minutes. Okay, time to go, guys, I'm afraid. Um... And I just want to let you know that if anybody has missed the start of this live here on Instagram, you can go and watch it again. I'm going to pin the Instagram, the I'm going to pin this Q&A to IGTV. For some reason last week, Instagram shit the bed and it just deleted my IGTV video, even though I had said to post it. So I'm sorry about that. Um, or if you want to listen to this while driving, this podcast will be released this Thursday. So you can go and listen to it this Thursday, which is uh, Wednesday's the first Thursday's the second, second of September. You'll be able to listen to this, um, the Kim Constable podcast on Podbean or wherever you listen to it. Um, but otherwise, guys, thank you so much for showing up here on Instagram. This was great. I've really enjoyed doing these. And I know everyone's enjoyed listening to them in the podcast because I get through loads of questions rather than just, you know, one or two questions. So, uh, yeah, love doing them. And um, thanks so much for showing up on Instagram. Thank you so much, you guys on the podcast. Um, uh, it's without you guys listening I would just be sitting here talking to myself so it's actually quite good to know that uh you know some of the waffle that I go on about every week actually helps in some way and that's what keeps me going and that's why I do what I do so have a wonderful wonderful rest of the day wherever you are in the world I love you all so much um and I will catch you next week same time for another live Q&A for the podcast take care and bye for now